Father, we do thank you for this word, and we thank you that as we trust it by your grace, as your people, we become your children. We show ourselves to belong to you in Christ and his kingdom to come. We pray as we consider this word, these final verses of this great vision this morning, that, Lord, you would help us to understand why we've been given this book, and you would help us to keep it and so be blessed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you prepared for what is soon to come? I am really, really excited this morning. In fact, I can hardly contain my joy because soon to come, just around the corner, I am going to reach one of the most crucial milestones in my adult life. I am really, really excited. In just a few weeks' time, just a few weeks' time, Star Wars. <laughs> Episode 7 will arrive. I don't know why you're laughing. This is really, really important. In fact, it is so important for me, as it is, I can see some of you nodding, it's so important for us, yes, I hear you. It is so important that I've been getting prepared. I've been getting ready using the official Get Ready for Star Wars fan guide. So the first step is watch all of the old Star Wars episodes 1 to 6 back to back in one marathon movie watching session. Looking forward to that. Uh, the second step is you've got to book your tickets to see Star Wars Episode 7. Uh, you book them online and you find the, the earliest possible showing in your region if you can't afford to fly to America to watch it two days earlier. And the final step, and I've done this one already, the final step is you get the official Star Wars merchandise, the flask that can refresh you during your viewing session. Star Wars 7 is coming, friends, and I'm prepared. And my wife, Melissa, values your prayers. <laughs> As we come to the end of this letter, Revelation, this morning, we are reminded of a far, far more important day that is soon to come. Three times in these final verses, Jesus declares in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. And again in verse 12 and verse 20, three times we're told Jesus is coming soon. And we saw something last week of the incredible renewal that he will bring to our world on that day of his return, that death and crying and mourning and pain will be no more for the old order of things will have passed away. The return of Jesus will be a wonderful event for those who are prepared for him. And so he reminds us in these closing verses, look in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This letter of revelation that we've been working through is God's means to prepare us for the return of his son. This has been our preparation guide as a church for the most important day, 
when we will face Jesus as our king and our judge. This is how we are blessed as we prepare in the light of this word. So the question is, have we been blessed at smack as we've worked through Revelation? And I think we have four reminders, four reminders in these closing verses that that pick up on what we've seen throughout this letter and help us identify if we have got the message, if we are prepared for Jesus and his new world to come. And those four are keep away from idolatry, keep an eternal perspective, keep trusting in Jesus' blood, and keep content with this word. Let's look at that first one together. Keep away from idolatry. And John actually helps us remember this lesson from Revelation through his own error that we see in these verses. He's humble enough to record it for us. Have a look in verse 8. Verse 8. I, John... Am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Poor John. Having witnessed revelation unfold before his eyes, he's overcome in awe at this great vision, and he falls down at the feet of the messenger, the angel which Jesus sent to John to show him these things. And he bows down to the angel in worship. But immediately he's rebuked. Verse 9, the angel says, he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. You see, here John commits the great crime that we have seen exposed throughout this letter. Idolatry. Refusing to acknowledge God and giving him what he is due. Failing to love and delight in him properly as the one who gave us life, who gave us everything. But denying him his rightful place and and giving our hearts what we seek our security and our satisfaction in, and giving it to another lesser thing than God. I mean, here John worships an angel, but throughout Revelation we've seen humanity at large worshipping anything but God. Promoted by Satan and his beasts, we see the worship of earthly rulers, the worship of wealth, the worship of sex. Men and women building their lives on the things of this world that is fading away rather than our Creator, who is worthy of our praise. And God's response to this idolatry, this taking him off the throne where he belongs, his response is crystal clear in this letter. It brings his holy, righteous, just anger against us. I'll remind you from Revelation 14. We're going to be looking at a few verses from this letter back in the letter this morning. Here's the first one. Revelation 14, 9 to 10. We're warned, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. For those who persist in denying God as God and who forsake the reconciliation he offers us in his Son, Revelation has told us the future is grim. And so the charge that God gives 
us in this letter as his people redeemed and brought back to him by his son is come out of the idolatry of the world. Remember back in Revelation 18, where we saw our world pictured as Babylon, that great adulterous city? And we were told, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out of the idolatrous practices of our world for which God's awesome judgment is coming. Don't join in sexual immorality that denies God his place by using that gift he's given us of sex in ways that dishonor him, that he's forbidden for our good. Don't join in the worship of material prosperity that we're, we're surrounded by in KL. You know, our culture delights in things that so many draw their significance and security from, from what they own. The house, the car, the clothes, the brands they're wearing. And yet denying God his place as their ultimate security and their ultimate joy, whatever they might own. Well, sex and money, they've been the dominant idols here in this book, but there are far more subtle ones that I know have been at work in my heart in the past. I remember being rebuked in love back by my friend at Bible College a few years ago. I came into uh, uh, her apartment one day and she, she noticed that I was full of worry and fear. And the reason was I was obsessing over my studies. You see, when I thought I wasn't meeting the mark, I wasn't at least meeting the average grade of my class, I was racked uh, with nervousness. And my friend, she was a godly, discerning young lady. And she asked me, Tim, why are you so worried? Is it because your security and your worth is in the grades that you're gaining at college? Are those really the most important thing in your life right now? And those words, they hit me right there in the heart. She was right. In my pride, I was worshipping my track record at college, and I was drawing my comfort and my security from how well I was doing compared to my peers. Not taking comfort in Jesus, rooting my worth in him and who he's made me to be, a son of God, awaiting an eternal inheritance. Ace my exams or not, above all, I belong to him. And he is worthy of my praise, my worship, not my pride in the grades. Who's caused you to mo- uh, what's caused you to worry the most over the past week? Has it been your bank balance? Job status? How well the kids are doing at school? Friends, what we worry about the most reveals what we care about the most. But what we ultimately root our security and our satisfaction in, and as we've seen in Revelation, God alone belongs on the throne of our hearts. That's the way he made it to be. He alone can satisfy us as the one who made us for relationship with him above all. So we're not to be marked by the idolatry of our world, but those who recognize and delight in God by loving and serving him and seeing our security in his son. That's the first reminder we have from this letter. If we are preparing for the return of Jesus, we will be keeping away from the idolatry of the world, looking for our ultimate satisfaction and security in the things of the now. Or secondly, we will keep an eternal perspective. Have a look in at what the angel does command John in verse 10. 
And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Uh, You might have noticed in our Old Testament reading back in Daniel 8, uh, the prophet Daniel, he had received this great vision, and yet he was told again and again in that chapter to conceal what he had seen. Uh, Daniel 8, 26, just to remind you. Oh, no, it's not coming up now. Okay, let me just read it for you. Seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Daniel was to conceal what he had seen from God, and the reason was it refers to many days from now. It was a vision of something that wasn't to come until the distant future. But Revelation, we've been told, is different. John isn't to conceal these words. He's going to make them public. He's got to make them known because, end of verse 10, the time is near. Through this book, God has taught us what will take place in the here and now, in the times in which we live as his church. What is life like for us in this present age as we wait for Jesus? And it's summarized for us here in verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the righteous still do right. Friends, we can expect, as we've seen in Revelation, that evil will continue to thrive in our world until the day of Jesus' return. As it persists in idolatry, as it persists in looking for security and satisfaction in anything but the God who created us for himself. And so his word is going to be ignored by the masses. The evildoer will still be evil, and the filthy will persist in filthiness. Now, it's not saying that those who persist in evil today don't have the hope of forgiveness tomorrow. You know, we live in this precious time as a church when, by the grace of God and the power of the gospel, we can call people to come in to repent and have their sins forgiven in Jesus, and we pray that they will. But in general terms, as we have it here, this world will remain a fallen, wicked, godless place to the bitter end. And that means for us as a church that in varying ways we can expect opposition as we seek to go against the flow, living radically different lives for Jesus against what our culture is living for. We've had plenty of warning about that in this letter. Look in Revelation 13.10. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone's to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. God's given us this book so that we are not surprised or unprepared at the hostility that we will face by the world as we live with Jesus as our King. Rather, we are promoted endure, endure, even if it means death. Endure. And we can do that. We can endure for Jesus no matter what because Revelation has given us an eternal perspective. Jesus says in verse 12, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Jesus is going to bring his recompense, his reward, to repay everyone for what he has done. Just as we saw back in Revelation 20. Verse 12, 
All the dead, great and small, will stand before the throne and the books were opened and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Justice will be done in every way. In the end, every wrong is going to be put right by Jesus' judge, his son. Jesus, who we read again in verse 12. See how he describes himself? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning. He's the end. He's going to have the last word over every situation that's taken place at every time in this present age. And every injustice that we as his people have suffered for his name will be put right. When our colleagues make our jobs hard because we refuse to join in the lies and the gossip at our workplace, and so they persecute us. Or when our families oppose us for not joining traditions that betray our faith and they mock us. Friends, Jesus will deal with every wrong on the final day. And so we can say with John back in verse 11, let the evildoer do evil. Because justice is coming. Let the righteous do right. It's not folly because deliverance is coming. That's the eternal perspective of revelation. Do we get it? Have we been living by it over these past few months? Are we drawing our comfort and strength from the fact that when living for Jesus is really tough, we know he will return. He will deliver. And if that has been the case for you, then give thanks. God has blessed you by this word in giving you that perspective that you might endure for Jesus. Don't let go of it. Keep seeing every situation in the light of the future we have in him. Okay, the third reminder we have here. And I've got to say, none of the other blessings that we've received from this book uh, matter at all if we don't have this one. This one is the crucial one. Revelation has taught us, thirdly, keep depending on Jesus' blood. Keep depending on Jesus' blood. Have a look in verse 14. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Back in Revelation 7, we saw many rejoicing before God's throne, having passed through his judgment safe and secure. And you see how they're described? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of the Lamb that enables these guys to stand before God without fear. And Revelation, it's warned us, hasn't it, that Jesus will hold each of us to account on the final day. But this book, it never ever promotes us to trust in ourselves and our deeds to survive that final day. No, Revelation has made it clear we are doomed if all we have to rely on on the day that Jesus judges us is our sin-soaked deeds. Because we've glimpsed something of the, the glory and the holy purity of God. In this letter, I know it was a while back, but back in Revelation 5, we saw the elders bowing down before God's throne and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, who is so fiercely good that the light of his holiness extinguishes all that is darkness. No corruption. 
No spot of sin can come into his presence and live. You know, we like to say, oh, you know, nobody's perfect, especially when we've done something wrong. And that's the point here. We know we're not holy as God is holy. We, we cannot approach him in our sin and hope to live. And so our only hope is to look to another, to look to the Lamb of Revelation, Jesus, the one who can stand before the throne in God's presence, who has lived the holy life that we failed to live in sin, but then as the Lamb sacrificed for us, died the death we deserved for it, that we might have the hope of being cleansed completely by faith in his blood, washed new, clothed in his righteousness before God. That's what it means to wash your robes, and that is what each one of us needs to do. Depend on Christ's blood. And as we see it here in this verse, blessed are those who wash their robes. I can tell you in the Greek, it is a continual, repetitive action. That's the tense that it carries. This is something that we as Christians will need to do again and again and again and again. I mean, just remember what we've seen of John here in these verses. He was a fellow believer. He was the one for whom God gave this awesome prophecy to us, his church. And yet, what has John done? He's committed idolatry at the beginning of these verses. And that wasn't the first time. Back in Revelation 19, he did the same thing there. He bowed before the angel, and the angel told him, John, what are you doing? Stop it. Get the idea of Revelation and worship God. And yet again in this chapter, he does the same. He bows before the angel, and he's rebuked. We, like John, are going to have to continue going back to the cross again and again, confessing our sin as we become more aware of it as the Spirit and the Word work in our lives, show up the idols of our hearts, that we might turn to Jesus, we might be forgiven, and we might rejoice not in the idols, but in Him who has saved us and is worthy of all praise. And for those of us who do, well, we will resolve to surrender those idols that have occupied our hearts, That is something God will make sure happens in his people. We will resolve to know and love Jesus as our king. These are are the righteous guys that we have back in verse 11. Those who are righteous will continue to remain righteous. They're not sinners working to gain merit before God, but they are those who trust in the Lamb, who are righteous by his blood, and show their faith by persevering with Jesus as Lord. And why is that such a great blessing? Well, let's read the whole of verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. That's what we have to look forward to if we are relying on the blood of Jesus to wash us clean of sin. This is the inheritance of his eternal rest, what he deserves and what has become ours as we trust in him. And it's pictured here as the tree of life. Uh, we saw this tree just last week in verse 2. We saw how it yields its fruit each month throughout the whole year. Uh, the leaves, they were for the healing of the nations. It's a, it's a symbol of God's perfect provision in every way. The partiality and greed that fuels so much of the poverty and the destitution in our world, that's history. 
No one will go without in the kingdom of his son. We will enter his city by the gates. There's no question of access. There won't be a bouncer on the door with a strict VIP list. His kingdom isn't reserved for the privileged few. It's for all who trust in Christ. And yet, tragically, many will be left outside. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Uh, The dogs, they refer to those who are considered unclean. They're unfit for this great kingdom, along with the rest of the wicked who love and practice what is false, who have persisted in sin with no sign of repentance, who have refused to bow the knee to Jesus, who have refused to be washed clean by his blood. And we have this stark warning, they won't see life. They will be put outside of life itself. Every blessing that we have ever known by God in this world, gone. And that is not God's desire for us, friends. That is not his desire for us. He wants us to be blessed by this word. And so take refuge in the king who died to bring us life. When we see our king speak to us in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Who is Jesus? The root and the descendant of David. You know, the promised king who brings salvation and security for his people. He's the bright morning star. Look in Numbers 24, 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it's going to crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. And that promise for Israel was God saying, one's going to come out of Jacob, he will be a ruler, a scepter, and he's going to crush your enemies. He's going to deliver you from every one of them and bring you into my presence and security. And so Jesus is that great deliverer who offers us rescue not from human enemies, but our greatest enemies, sin and death and judgment. So the the Spirit of God and the bride, the church, already raised with Christ, they cry out, verse 17, come, come. If you've not come to Jesus, then this book has not been a blessing to you, no matter how well you know it. You're still outside. There's no hope of life in the end. Won't you come? Maybe some of us have been weighing that decision for some time and we've heard these words and yet we're yet to keep them. Please come to Jesus before it's too late and the gates to his kingdom are shut forever. And for those of us who have come to him, we're told, notice verse 17, let the one who hears say come. Was that the one who has heard this word and responded rightly, who has come to Jesus, say, come. Has revelation motivated you as a Christian to plead with others? Come to Jesus. Now, are we inviting them to the Christmas guest night or to join us one Sunday at Smack that they might come and have life in Jesus' name? And again in verse 17, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And perhaps, you know, we used to be quenching our thirst for life, and we used to be delighting in Jesus as our satisfaction, our security, our joy above all, but we've dried up. 
we've become distracted by other things. Uh, we're no longer really interested in going to Jesus for this life-giving water, no, the life we were made to find our rest in with God. We're just going through the motions each Sunday. We're saying the creed, we're catching up with friends, and, and that's nice and that's fun, but we know deep down Jesus doesn't really have my heart anymore. I, I'm really looking for life and blessing in a relationship that I know is not honoring to God. I'm really looking for life in the worldly riches and comforts that are out there that the world craves for and longs after. I'm really finding my satisfaction in that. That's what I care about most. Something rather than him. And so when push comes to shove, we delight in that idol and we forsake Jesus as our king. Friends, nothing in this world is worth forsaking Jesus for. Who alone offers us Life in the place of sin and death. No one can satisfy our soul like him. And so he says, come, those who are thirsty, before it's too late, and the gates to my rest are closed forever. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So what will we do if we've been blessed by this book? And if we're prepared, we're going to keep on going back to the cross, keep on trusting in Jesus, and in the light of that great rescue, in thanksgiving and worship, we will honor him as our king. Now, this fourth reminder that we have here that prepares us for the final day, this one we haven't seen so strongly throughout the letter, but John obviously thinks it's really important because he pretty much ends on this. He wants us to understand this. We will keep content with this word, not mess with it, if we have been blessed by this book. We will keep content with this word. When people mess with substances that are intended to promote goodness and life, serious consequences often follow, don't they? You know, I remember years ago, I was watching the news and I saw this very disturbing story about someone who was trying to bring down Tesco supermarkets in the UK. Uh, one of their employees had had a, a spot of bother and trouble uh, in his workplace and he, for some reason he blamed the CEO. He blamed the guy who was in charge of Tesco's for what had happened to him. And so in cruel revenge and vengeance, he threatened the CEO by writing a letter to him in which he wrote, I have taken a random jar of baby food off the shelves in one of your stores and concealed broken glass in its contents. You'll never know which one it is. It was a despicable crime, taking revenge and vengeance in this way by taking something that was meant for goodness and life, the baby food for an infant child, and lacing it with deadly glass in anger and hatred. And, and the authorities, they dealt with that threat very seriously. That guy faced serious charges for his crime. Friends, to mess with Revelation would be even more serious. To undermine the message of this book and promote a different one in God's name to others. For a start, we've seen this is God's truth for us, his church. Twice in this passage, we've been reminded, verse 6, these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And so to add or to subtract from this word and so misrepresent God himself, well, that's just another form of idolatry. 
are denying what God has spoken to us as church and speaking different words in his name. But not only that, this is the word God uses to save and sustain us, his people, for eternal life. And so the the consequences of changing this word are eternally grave. See in verse 18, John says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. And we've seen terrible plagues throughout this letter that symbolize the terrifying judgment of God. Likewise, we've seen the tree of life and the holy city as symbols of the eternal rest that he offers in his kingdom to come. And we're told here, if you mess with Revelation, if you remove from it or add to it and so undermine its message, undermine that message of depend on the Lamb, depend on Jesus and endure hardship for him and look forward to glory in his name, if you mess with that you will have hell to pay for it and no place in God's rest. As hearers of Revelation, we here have a serious responsibility to remain content with and faithful to this word. You know, when others want to play down the warning of judgment that Revelation makes so clear, oh, God's justice isn't really going to come against this world, We don't really need to take refuge in Jesus. Take Jesus as your friend. Take him as an extra comfort. That's fine. But it's not really a priority. It's not as if judgment is really coming when others promote the lie of, oh, well, yeah, yeah, God's judgment's coming. Get ready. And the way that we do that is by working really hard. To be righteous before God, we've just got to work hard, 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 be the best people that we can be, and he'll reward us at the end of the day. Those lies that undermine this message that sadly I've heard being taught and using this book to try and justify it don't have anything to do with them. Warn others to flee from that heresy because they won't bless as Revelation is meant to. They will destroy and God will destroy those who peddle such heresy. Oh, judgment isn't coming. Actually, you don't really need Jesus. Rely on your works. No, keep content with this prophecy and encourage others to do the same. Like I said earlier, I am really excited that Star Wars 7 is coming soon. And so I've got prepared. I've watched the prequels, I've got the tickets, and I'm ready with my Star Wars flask. So as we finish Revelation, let me ask you... Are you excited at Jesus' words in verse 20? He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Can you respond as John does? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready? Are you prepared? If we have been blessed by this book as a church, our very lives will testify that we are ready for that final day because we'll be keeping ourselves from the idols that will never satisfy and longing instead to know and love Jesus as our true master as we look forward to his kingdom to come
We'll be keeping that eternal perspective and so enduring hardship and discomfort where necessary, knowing that he's going to right every wrong in the end. We'll be keeping our faith in his blood, the lamb who was slain for us and so trusting and obeying in him each day. We'll be keeping content with this word, not messing with it, but sharing it with others faithfully and so crying out to them, come, come and know the joy of sins forgiven and the promise of life everlasting the one who will wipe every tear from our eyes and mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the former things will have passed away for behold, God has made all things new. Friends, Jesus is coming back. It's the next thing on God's to-do list. And it could be tomorrow. It might not be for many, many, many years, but sooner or later he will return and nothing matters. Nothing matters more than being prepared for him. And so I'll finish as John prays in verse 21. For us as a church, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word. And I pray that it has been a blessing to us here as your people I pray, Lord, that we would not be those who simply hear the words but do not keep them. But by your grace, you would be strengthening us, Lord, that we would be forsaking the idols that have occupied our hearts, that deny you the glory you deserve, and instead rejoicing in your Son, in whom we have life again with you, who alone can satisfy our deepest needs. Help us to be keeping that eternal perspective, to be enduring hardship for the sake of his name, trusting that he is returning and he will right every wrong. And so, Lord, help us to keep trusting in the blood of your Son who cleanses us from our every sin. Help us to keep content with this word, especially when others encourage us to look elsewhere for hope and peddle lies. Help us to remain faithful to your gospel and to be holding out to others and crying, come. Lord, that through our witness, you would grow your kingdom here at Smack, and many more would be prepared for that final day when your son will return and you will make all things new. Commit ourselves into your hands in his name. Amen.